0: So, I'm glad you're here. We're going to continue a conversation. Let me say this uh, for those of you who maybe weren't here last week, and I'm getting a lot of you saying this. So let me just say thank you to all of you who say you look a lot better. I must have looked awful last week. I'm not sure, but uh, thank you. I feel much better. For those of you who weren't here, I uh, am coming back from pneumonia, and uh, it uh, takes a little longer than I thought or anticipated. And uh, so, I feel much better, and the voice is back, so you might as well buckle in. I got lots to say today, all right? But uh, we're really, really excited. Well, Wow, I got one applause. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, I'd also like to say, I have no idea if they're here, and uh, so I'm going to say hello to two people, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but I heard through the grapevine that there's some people from my old stomping ground that might be in this service. If you're here, I haven't seen you. There's a lot of you in here from Columbia City. If you're here and want to raise your hand, hey, 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 oh, I know who that is. I wasn't sure if I'd know them. Welcome. Give them a big hand. They're from Columbia City. If I'm seeing these people right, I think they are related to a fellow that I used to coach football with. So I I didn't realize that's who was gonna be here. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Welcome. And then I wanna look in the camera and say hello to some friends in Columbia City who I'd love for you guys to be praying for as well. You're at Riley uh, Hospital right now and uh, with your baby who uh, you found out had leukemia. And so I want you to know, I know you listen. This is your church and we love you. Uh, I think uh, Grant and Chelsea, you need to know we're praying for you, okay? We're in this series called And uh, the reason we're in this series, let me get you caught up to speed. We just said this is that when people get bored, they sit around. And when people are bored and sit around, they do stupid things. Amen? Yeah. And uh, maybe you've done that. I don't know. We kind of shared last week that, you know, when I had pneumonia and I was in the throes of it, I sat around. I don't like to sit around. I got bored. And uh, many of you have have felt like you needed to talk to me about Alaskan bush people, right? Uh, Because a lot of you must watch that. I don't know. But uh, when I was bored, that's what I I did and I can tell you that was kind of stupid and silly because it feels like it's the same show all the time, right? But we talked about lawn chair, Larry, people do stupid things. Why did we say that? Listen, lean in, here's why. Because a lot of people who call themselves Christians, a lot of people who go to church, a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, I go to church are bored. They're, They're bored and the question we ask, why in the world are they bored? Because somewhere along the way, we have thought to ourselves that this Christianity, this thing that we embrace, is about sitting around. Somewhere in 21st century American Christianity, we bought the idea that Christianity, following Christ, is about sitting around. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean? Well, somewhere along the way, we thought, when you become a Christian, the very next thing and very first thing, and sometimes we think the most important thing we do is go to church and sit around. And then if we're really, really committed, we go from going to church and we go to a Bible study and what? Sit around. And whereas we said last week, I want you to hear me say this, those things are important. They are not the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. That Following Jesus, being a Christ follower, a disciple of Christ, a Christian, whatever you want to call it, is not about sitting around. In fact, I would say the very first follower of Jesus wouldn't have understood that. And so we said this, worth writing down, we said following Jesus, not about sitting around, but it's about being sent out. That this whole idea of following Jesus, the essence of following Jesus, is about being sent. That when you look at Jesus, when he describes his life, 44 times he says, I was sent. And then when Jesus talks to us, Jesus left, right? Jesus went back to heaven. He says, just as I was sent, I'm sending you. In fact, we looked at John 17. It says this. Read the yellow out loud with me. You ready? As you, me into the world, I have into the world, sent. That's why we call this three-week conversation sent. It's a three-week conversation all about what does it mean to be sent. And we said this, we were just honest about it last week, that the content of this conversation primarily, primarily is meant for those who would call themselves followers of Christ, which in our country is 75% of the population. And so it's primarily, and so you might be here saying, I'm not somebody who's a Christian. I'm not a Christ follower. Does that mean this is gonna make any difference to me? And I say, yes, you get to listen in on the conversation because I would say this and then we're gonna roll and you need to come next week, okay? So this week, next week, you need to come. I would say primarily in our country, there is a misunderstanding about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be a Christian, Where 75% of our country say, I'm Christian. And as we look at what Jesus said, he said, the essence of what it means to be my follower is to be sent. So we beg the question, uh, sent for what? And last week we said this all by way of review. At minimum, at minimum, we're sent to evangelize. Churchy word, but this is what Jesus said. He said, if you follow me, you'll fish for people. Which the antithesis, by the way, is true. If I'm not fishing for people, I'm probably not following Jesus, right? That's what we said. And so we said we at minimum are sent to evangelize and and don't make that too complicated. We're meant to, to, we're sent to spread as far and as often as possible the net of the good news of Jesus. That's what we're sent to do. And so that's why you see, I have this bracelet and we have them available this morning, I think downstairs and on the back table. But we just made a call, a commitment for those who would pray every day for three people in their life who don't know Jesus. And so on the inside of these, they say, pray for your three. It's just one way to remind you to pray for your three. We said, write your story. I hear people say, I don't know what I would say to somebody. And I said this, I said, if you have a story, you have something to say. Just write your story. Make it three minutes or less. They don't want to hear a long 30-minute story, right? Right? And then we said, be patient with the process. I want to take the conversation a little bit further today. And I think what I want to share with you today is so important for us to somehow get our head around. Because as we look back at John 17, 18, I want to show you another part of that verse that I think is fascinating. Look at what it says. Your job is to read the words in underline, okay? As you sent me... That was awful. That was just awful, okay? Your job is to read the words underlined. Can we do that? Here we go. As you sent me, I have sent them. It's fascinating because what Jesus seems to say is you're sent, but then he says, here's where you're sent. He said, you're sent into the world. Everybody listen. Here's what that means. In here, we're seated. Amen? In here, we're seated. There is where we're sent. I'm going to say it again. Here, we're all at church. Whatever you call it, we come to the gathering of the church. And it's like, this is important. Don't misunderstand me. But here, we're seated. It's there we're sent. That what Jesus said is, I'm sending you into the world. In fact, there's a guy named J.D. Greer. I like how he says it in a book called Gaining by Losing. Listen to this. He said, of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts, listen close, 39. Everybody say that out loud. 39 of those miracles happen outside the church walls. That's 97.5%. He goes on to say, you can safely conclude from this that the main place God wants to manifest his power is outside the church walls. He says, think about how foreign this is to most churches in our country. Ask almost any church going Christian to describe when they saw or felt the power of God, and they usually point to a time inside the church walls, a sermon or a special musical moment or something like that. Whereas there's nothing wrong, he says, with spirit filled church services. Most of what God wants to do in our society happens by ordinary people outside the walls of the church. That to me is fascinating. I like actually how a guy named Louis Palau, anybody heard that name? Raise your hand if you've heard that name. Louis Palau, some of you have heard that name. So you can blame him for this, but I like how he says it better, right? He says, the church is a lot like manure. Welcome to church, right? He says, if you leave it piled together too long, it starts to stink up the neighborhood. But if you spread it out, it has the ability to enrich the world. You see, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, we're sent to evangelize. But then he says, I want to tell you where you're sent. You're sent into the world, which is interesting because you all come from different backgrounds. And I want to tell you this. And if you're newer to this thing and you didn't grow up in church, I want to tell you something. Christians for the last several centuries have had a weird relationship with the world. Like some of you know what I'm talking about because you grew up this way. But, but we've had this weird, relate, like, how am I supposed to relate with the world? You're saying, what do you mean, Dan? Well, let me give you some suggestions. I would say that some people, when they become Christians, they do what I call isolate. What I mean by that is they isolate from the world. The minute they become Christians, no association with anybody who's not a Christian right? They begin to isolate. They pull themselves away. They don't want to have any relationship with somebody who's not a Christ follower. They hunker down, they bunker in, and they just wait for God to rescue the church, right? Some of you maybe grew up that way. I mean, you may even know what I'm talking about, but, but I would say that some of you who grew up in church, maybe you would recognize this one. Maybe it's not isolate, maybe it's insulate, Whereas you're like, I'm in the world, right? But, but I'm gonna insulate myself. And what I mean by that is people who grew up this way, the way they would describe their Christian experience is this, it would primarily be described by the things they don't do. What's it mean to be a Christian? Well, we don't drink, chew, and go with girls who do, right? That's kind of what it means. And so some of you grew up that way, right? I mean, don't raise your hand, but some of you grew up like no playing cards in your house, right? And if that was your conviction, that's fine. No drinking, no dancing, no. And this is, that's what it means to be a Christian. No, no, don't, don't, right? Some of you are smiling and I can tell that's how you grew up. Right? And so if so I'm going to insulate, so here's what happens, stay with me. Somebody's shaking your head. I'm with you, right? And so we create that we create this list of things we don't do. That's what we do to describe what it means to be a Christian. And then you know what we do on the other hand? Then what we do is not only do we tell you what we don't do, but we create what I call a Christian subculture. And so all of a sudden, everything that we do is Christian. We go to a Christian restaurant, right? We go to a Christian coffee shop. We go to Christian da-da-da, Christian da-da-da, Christian whatever. And so what we do is we describe our experience by what we don't do, and then we insulate. Everything we do is Christian movies, Christian this, Christian mud wrestling. I mean, I don't know what it is, Christian everything, right? That's what we do, and it's like insulate. And then there's other people, and... and, and, and this one. I didn't really know the word to give this one, so I gave it three, right? They infiltrate, irritate, and infuriate, right? And, and here's what I mean by that. And, and those kind of people are what I'd call the fighting fundamentalists, right? And, and they see their mission to infiltrate the world so that they can tell the world how screwed up it is. And so they feel like their mission is to yell at the world, Right? You ever? I mean, most of us have, have met somebody like that, right? Amen? Can I get an amen on that? Don't look at them. Just say amen. I'm just saying, right? But, but we've, we've met somebody like that. I mean, you've even seen it on the news. You've seen it on the news, right? I mean, I absolutely, my heart breaks every time we see it on the news, right? Because what they do is they just like, well, everybody that calls himself a follower of Christ must be that way. And that just breaks my heart, right? Like they're yelling and screaming. And we talked about that a little bit last week. And then I think there's a fourth one. And this is more dangerous. And I would say this is becoming more faddish. And I would say that is those who integrate. And what I mean by that is it's like those are what I would call undercover Christians. Like, hey, Christianity all of a sudden is becoming cool and it's faddish. You tracking with me? And so, hey, man, everybody's doing it. And you kind of get some Christian bling and you get some Christian ink and you get some whatever. And it's like, hey, all the pro athletes are doing it, right? And so I hit a home run. It's like I have my celebration and like, thank you, Jesus. And it's like the cool thing to do, right? And what's interesting is this, is that when we begin to dig into this, like, okay, well, man, there's all these weird ways in which we relate to the world. I think the question is, what did Jesus have in mind when he says I'm sending them into the world? And look here, can I suggest to you that it's none of those? Can I just suggest to you that it's none of those? And in fact, I think the reason I would suggest that is because if you pull out and read the verses in front of verse 18, here's what he said. He's praying in John 17. Look at it with me. He's saying to the Father, I'm coming. This is Jesus, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And then he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Now look at this. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Obviously, Jesus' prayer is not that you isolate, insulate, right? So I don't want to like all of a sudden, remove them. So then he goes on, but that you protect them from the evil one. Then he says, they're not of the world. He's like, well, I'm not hoping they integrate and become undercover cool Christianity, even as I'm not of it. And then he says, sanctify them. Sounds like a church word. Set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. And then he says, as you sent me, Father, into the world, I have sent them into the world. Everybody look here a second. We talked about this last week, and then I got to fly. Okay. He said, just like the Father sent me, I'm sending them. Obviously, Jesus is saying, I'm sending them. And what I'm sending them to do is not to infiltrate, infuriate, and irritate. You know how I know that? Because Jesus came to what? Save, not to what? Condemn. And I said this last week, I'll say it again this week. Somebody who would walk around with a poster board that says burn in hell, fill in the blank is not a representative of Jesus. He came to save, not to condemn. And so if that's not his heart for being sent into the world, what's his heart? Here's how I want you to write it down. We are sent by Jesus, you can add that, to influence the world by making the invisible Jesus visible. We are sent. By Jesus, you might want to add that. He's the one sending us. To influence the world. If you're a follower of Christ, we are sent into the world to influence the world by making the invisible Jesus visible. Back when, when I was a kid, I don't even know if is on anymore, you know, some people get all excited about superheroes. I mean, some of you maybe grew up with superheroes and you like, you, you like had your superpower that you wish you had, you know, I want to leap tall buildings with a single bound and all that kind of stuff. But when I was growing up, there's a, there a TV show, uh, Rage Man, if you, you ever heard of, it's like called The Invisible Man or something like that, right? If, if you're ever in a group where somebody says, that's the superpower I wish I had to be invisible, can, can we just say that's creepy, amen? Like that's, that's weird, okay? But this guy was invisible. It's like, where's he at? You don't know he's in the room, okay? And the only way as I remember it that you could make visible the invisible man was if somebody splashed paint on the invisible man. You're saying, "Dan, why are you so hung up on this?" Because JD Greener's book would say this that Jesus relationship with the church is exactly that that the church what we do is we have the opportunity, those who say I'm a follower of Christ to splash paint on the invisible Jesus. Think about it. You ever had this happen? It's like somebody come to me and they'll come into my house and say, well, man, you know something? I wish I could just see Jesus. You ever have somebody say that to you? I wish I could just talk to Jesus. I wish I could have coffee with Jesus. Jesus came and he hung out and then he took off, right? And what did he say? He said, when I take off, I'm not going to leave you guys alone. I'm going to send what? The Holy Spirit, which makes fascinating something that Jesus says. Maybe you've never seen it before. Look at the screen, John 14. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. So we're gonna follow Jesus. We're gonna do what Jesus has been doing. But look at this next part. And they will do even greater things than these. Why? Guys, don't miss this. Some of you may have heard this before because I'm going to the Father. Everybody look here. Look here, look here. Jesus, getting ready to, this is Jesus. You tracking with me? This is Jesus, son of God, Messiah, God in the flesh. He's getting ready to leave. He's got his disciples around him. He said, I'm getting ready to leave. This is what he says to them. He said, y'all are gonna do what I've been doing. Y'all are gonna do the works I've been doing. You follow me, you're gonna do what I've been doing. That's what he says. And then he has the audacity to say, by the way, Norton Grace Church, Y'all are gonna do greater things than these. I don't know how you read your Bible, but when I read it, I try to, what in the world is going on there? Because I think we're gonna do what? Greater things than Jesus? How in the world is that possible? He's Jesus. Let me tell you what he's talking about here. What he's saying is this, and then we gotta fly. He's saying this. He said, when Jesus was 33 years on the earth, He confined himself to time and space. He did not leave a circumference. He did ministry in a rather small circumference. He sat aside the godness that he had and he lived as a man and he literally confined himself and he said, when I go, when I leave, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and when I send the Holy Spirit... Everybody who says yes to Jesus as savior and leader of their life will have the Holy Spirit inside of them. These people that said yes to Jesus, Spirit of God lives inside of them. If you're in this room, the Spirit of Christ lives in you. And what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying now when Dan prays in about 20 minutes and we dismiss That literally Jesus isn't going to go to one place, but Jesus is going to be at Walmart. Jesus is going to be at the restaurant. Jesus is going to be at your neighborhood. Jesus is going to be at the playground. Jesus is going to be at the ball field. Jesus is going to go to the hospital. That's what he's saying. He's like, in a few minutes, Jesus is going to spread out all over Akron and Columbia City. That's what he's saying. He's like, you're going to do greater works than these. And so it begs the question, okay, then, then if we're going to do what Jesus did, then, then what did Jesus do? And can we look at that for a few minutes? Can we just do that? Because I think this is so important. I want to, I want to share some things with you and um, I'm going to talk to the people in the back. I'm going to do at least two, maybe three. Okay. I don't know. We're just going to see where we go. Okay. Uh, but, but I want to share some things with you. Now, everybody look here. What I'm getting ready to share with you, I, I'm going to share with you some extremely practical things here in a second. So you ought to have your pens ready. Okay, I'm going to share some extremely practical things with you. What in the world did Jesus do? Let me show you Luke 5. That's what you have your Bibles open to. Verse 10. This should uh, be familiar if you were here last week. He said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. So we talked about that last week. I'm fascinated with what happens immediately after that in Luke 5 in Luke's account. Verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. That doesn't mean as much to you and I probably. It did to them. This guy would have been an atrocity to look at. Literally parts of his body might have been missing because he couldn't feel them and he might have scraped them off to try to bring some sort of comfort or he might have burned them, not realized they were on fire. He wouldn't even, Leprosy was awful. He would have had to isolate himself from the rest of the community. When he came in contact with others, he'd have to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. That was his life, imagine that. And so this guy with leprosy when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. And he says to the man, I'm willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. Everybody look here. Here's what I'm fascinated by. I'm fascinated by this. That Jesus calls these followers, don't miss this. He said, come follow me. And so they start following him. And the first place he took them wasn't to a Bible study or a church service. Did you pick up on that? The first place he took them was to some place that nobody would dare go because you stay away from them people. He took them right into a place that everybody in their culture was like, that's a mess. And he said, follow me, attach your life to me. And the very first place he takes them is in the presence of a leper, unclean, unclean. Doesn't stop there, look at this. I think it's round about verse 18, look at it. It says, some men then came carrying a paralyzed man. That meant this guy could not help himself, amen? We we looked at this a few weeks ago. And he was on a mat and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And if you know the story, they cut a hole in the roof. It's fascinating. And all of a sudden, Jesus' followers They go from the presence of this leper and then they're with Jesus and and he's helping somebody who can't help themselves. And then look at verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, that's the religious guys, and teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, that's his followers, and they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Everybody look here, let's answer the question. Don't miss this. They asked Jesus, they said, why are you eating? They asked his disciples, why are you guys eating with these sinners? These people who are of bad reputation. Don't make the Bible too hard. you know what the answer is? Think about it. You know what the answer is? Because we're with What? we're with him, we're with Jesus, and we follow Jesus right in here. It's not where we normally might have come, but we follow Jesus right in here. What's the point? Jesus called these followers, and the first place he took them wasn't to a Bible study. It wasn't to a church service, a a Christian concert. It was none of that. Following Jesus is following him right into people's lives. Remember that. It's following him right into messiness. It's following him as he helps people who can't help themselves. It's following him into associating with people who others may not feel comfortable associating with. What's the point? I want you to write this down and let's make some application. If you and I are sent, that means this. We're sent to help hurting people. We're sent to help hurting people. Now, I'm going to say something here I don't always say, but I want you to, to hear me. Let's pretend this isn't a sermon. Let's just pretend we're talking for a second. I, I'm going to, for the next five or six minutes, I want to flesh this out for you. And I'm going to say some things. If you're not dialed in, you may misunderstand. Okay? Everybody shake your head like you're tracking with me. Okay? Three of you. Okay, that's great. Uh, I'm going to say it again. I'm getting ready to say some things that if you're not paying attention, you may misunderstand. Okay? And I do not want to be misunderstood. But I feel compelled to say what I'm going to say. You see, you and I are sent to help hurting people. And if you look at the history of the church, the followers of Jesus, when Jesus left, they took that spirit into the beginning of the early church. Just look at Acts 2 and then let's see what happens here. Acts 2, 44, believers were together. This was an incredible community. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. They went to these unusual lengths to help people. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The the, the early church was known as going to these unusual lengths to help people. In fact, it confused the Roman culture. They they were confused that that those who attached their life to Jesus would help not just other followers of Christ, they would help anyone. Like, Like even people who didn't agree with what was called the way. And it confused the Roman culture. And when you read the book of Acts, you read about the the beginning of the local church. Now listen, this is interesting. And when you get to Acts 6, all of a sudden you get the first church complaint. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yep, the first church complaint. You're like, what was the first church complaint? The first church complaint was this, that there was a group of people who felt like they were being overlooked and they were frustrated with the apostles because they were widows and they're like, hey, you're not paying attention to us and we have a need. And in Acts chapter six, you need to know this. This is so key, it gets overlooked. Acts chapter six, the disciples, the apostles of Jesus make a decision that is revolutionary. They realize as these widows are like, hey, you're not getting around to us. And the apostles are like, well, if we do all of that, we won't do what we were primarily called to do, and that is pray and teach and equip. And in Acts chapter six, the disciples, the apostles, those leading the church, made the decision to decentralize helping others. And they said helping people who have needs that are hurting is not something that just those who are leading were sent to do. And the moment they did that, Acts chapter six, I want you to see this, look at this. Verse seven, at that moment, the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. Everybody say that next word out loud, rapidly. Listen, listen, I wanna say this. The movement of Jesus's church ignites when the ministry of helping others is decentralized. Now, here's where I need you to dial in. Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, He's saying, I'm sending you to help hurting people. Can I say that that is something that has gotten lost in our culture? Can I say that's something that has gotten woefully lost in our churches? And a large part of the responsibility lies on pastors. I'll get to that in a second. It's gotten lost. Here's what's happened. Jesus says, I'm sending you to help hurting people. Not simply, you ready? Not simply asking you to send hurting people for help. You see the difference? Jesus says, I'm sending you to help Hurting people. I'm not simply asking you to send hurting people for help. Because the phenomenon that's ha- sometimes you need to send people for help beyond what you can give. The phenomenon in our culture is when somebody's hurting, send them to a professional or a pastor. That, seriously, it's, it's the phenomenon in our culture. And sometimes it's the phenomenon because of pastors. Can I just say that? Sometimes it's the pastor's fault. There are some pastors that are addicted to being needed and to helping. That may be news to some of you in the room, like you didn't know that. But there are some pastors, they got to be at every situation. And somehow when they do that, they take away the privilege, Jason, for you to obey Jesus. That's what they do. Right? There are, so, so, so sometimes it's the pastor's fault. There are some pastors, Ready? That, that, that love helping people. You ready? And they think, they think they don't need to rest. The guy talking to you is one. Yeah, you, you, you think that I come and talk to you about what you need to fix and, and today you get to hear what I need to fix. I sat in my doctor's office several weeks. I was, I'll be real honest with you guys. I was a little bit, Um, I, I was pretty low, like physically. And my doctor looked at me and she said this. She said, you cannot continue to do what you're doing. I'm like, why? I'm still 25, you know, is what I thought, right? You see, sometimes it's because pastors have a wrong view of themselves. You see what I'm saying? You see, here's the deal. And, and, and I want to say to you, to the extent that I or one of the pastors has done that, I'm coming to you saying, I'm sorry. Literally, I'm sorry. Because here's what we are called to do. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. Christ gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To read the yellow out loud with me. Can you do that? Nice and loud. To what? Equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. So that we can paint the invisible Christ and make him visible. That's what he's saying. Till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature. attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see, he says, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to help hurting people. I'm not just simply asking you to send hurting people to get help. Now, let me say one more thing, and I want to give you some real practical things. Do sometimes you need to send people for help beyond what? Yes. Can we just say that? Like, don't send me that email. Yes. Okay. But I'm going to say something, and I'm I'm looking around the room, and I'm spotting different people, so I already know, and I want to make sure I say this. Sometimes people need to go for professional counseling. So we have some awesome professional counselors even in the room. Sometimes they need to do that. But I think these counselors would agree with me on this, is that counseling, listen close, counseling will never, don't mistake me on this, counseling will never be a substitute for community. Never. Like, even if you need to go get that jesus talks about the need for community and relationships sometimes i meet with people and you know what they are longing for they're coming to me because their friends sent them to me and, and whatever the case may be and i always enjoy that but what they need is friends they, they need relationships right that's what they long for they're lonely loneliness is rampant in our society and so whereas counseling, there's time and a place, and maybe that's something that you've needed, and awesome. I'm somebody who's like, yes, right? We have great relationship with counselors. It will never substitute for community. So the question is well, if we're sent to help, here, here's what I get. This is real life. This is we're gonna just get practical. I have people say to me this well, Pastor Dan, I bring them, I just had somebody say this to me the other day, I bring them to you because I can't help them as good as you. Okay? I get that. I get the spirit of that. Let me, let me tell you two true things, okay? First is this. Do you know how I got better at helping people? Can I just say that? Do you know how I got better at it? Well, it must have been your schooling. Not really. You know how I got better at it? Helping people. <laughs> Honestly. Like, like, let me tell you this story. This, this really happened. It's, it's, it fascinated me. I had a, a guy say, my friend... He's hurting, he needs help. I'm like, awesome. He said, no, I'm gonna bring him to talk to you. I said, okay, happy to. But he doesn't wanna come alone. I said, okay, come with him. So he came with him. And they sat in my office for an hour and I talked with this guy and tried to give him help. And the friend who brought him said to me after the guy left, he came back and he said, he said, I think I could have done that. I said, you probably could have. Probably better than Ike did because you have a relationship with him. You're already 50 miles down the road. See how that works? So, so the question is, well, how in the world do we begin helping? Let me give you some real practical things. Write these down, then I, I gotta fly. It looks like it's gonna be two today, Mike or whoever's back there. Okay, Here, here's the deal. I, I haven't had a voice, I've got a lot to say, okay? But, but write these down. What are some practical tips for caring and, and helping hurting people? Uh, First, I would write this down, be there. Seriously, be there. It's the power of presence. It's like show up in the snapshot. It's like be alert, be available. Uh, this is maybe confession day for Dan, I don't know. But, but can I uh, be honest about that? Something that people will say, well, I don't know about being there because I don't know what to say. Everybody look here a second. Like, I've been a pastor, uh, whatever, 26 years. I'm gonna just tell you something. Like, I don't always know what to say. Sometimes I go to the funeral home and and it's it's a tragedy, you know, like a, a child or something, and I'll walk in, I'm like, I'm not sure what to say honestly like 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 i don't know what you think of ussens up here like there are some people that are just gifted at that but but there's sometimes but there's the power of the presence and very rarely do people say to me hey dan thanks for being there i remember what you said they say that sometimes i'm not saying that never but but very rarely you know what they say thanks for what being there like there's a power in being there. I would write this down. Uh, this is something I'm very passionate about. I am just writing it down. It's not that hard to do, but I think it's missing in our culture. It's learn the art of asking questions and then the skill of listening. Like if you want to help people, learn to ask them questions. It's a lost art in our culture, but it is one of the most selfless things you can do is ask them questions. And then after you ask them questions, listen. Like go to them and say this, hey, How can I be helpful to you? Go to them and and say this help me understand what you're feeling. Go to them and say, Can you put words to your feelings to help me know what it is you're going through? And then listen. It's amazing what will happen if you just learn the art of allowing them. I'll have people come into my office and, you know, honestly, first 40 minutes for me is asking questions and listening. And after 40 minutes, some of you are like, thanks, you've been helpful. Like, no problem. Like, I've offered them absolutely no advice. But they needed to somehow, someone else to hear what they were going through. I'd say learn to ask questions and then listen. Then I, I, I would write this down. Practice the art of empathy. Practice the art of empathy. Everyone has a story. Put yourself in their shoes. I'd write this down somewhere. Don't feel like you need to have all the answers. Please write that down. The people who have been most helpful to me are not people who have all the answers. In fact, I get nervous of people who are always wanting to jump to give me answers and won't listen to me. Honestly, I just do. Don't feel like you have, like, you just don't. You, you, can I just say this? You don't have all the answers. Neither do I. I would write this down, and then, then I'm gonna tell you about a series coming up. Always treat people with grace. But remember... To invite them and point them to the truth. Always treat them with grace, kindness. There's no reason not to treat people with kindness and grace, but point them to the truth. So you listen with kindness and then you point them to the truth. In fact, if you don't end up pointing them to the truth, I would suggest you're probably not really loving them. Uh, Here's the way I do it so I'm just giving you, I'm just transporting some of what I do in my office. Uh, I, I will look at a a person who comes to talk to me, and you can do this in your living room. and And I'll listen for the first forty forty five minutes. I'll just ask questions, and then after we do that, this is what I do. I'll say to them, "Would you like my opinion?" I've been doing that for twenty some years. Only one time I've had a lady look at me and say, "No," and she slammed the door and left. I'm like, "Well, I got fifteen minutes. I guess you know." It's like. But usually they'll say, yeah, would you give me your opinion? Well, what are they doing? They're inviting you to speak into their situation. And so at that point, you say, well, here's my opinion. Or I'll say, would you like to know what I believe God says about that? Then you have the opportunity to say. See see how that works? You see, say, Dan, why are you spending so much time on this? Can can, can we just say this and then I got to fly? There are a lot of hurting people. Can I get an amen on that? A lot. Some of you are. And so in October, we're going to do a series. We're going to do a series on some emotional, maybe even mental challenges that people are facing. And our, our, our hope is this, is that for some of you that are facing it, that you'll find hope and healing. And for some of you who know people who are in that, that you'll find help so that you can help them in their journey. The month of October, invite somebody to come with you. It's gonna be a great series together. I need to say this and then, and, and then we're gonna be done after this point. I want you to write this down. We're sent to help hurting people. And then I want you to write down, we're sent to take up the cause of justice. Sometimes this gets missed, but followers of Christ are sent to take up the cause of justice. A guy named Micah, 700 years before Jesus, was writing. He was a pastor, he was a preacher, a prophet. The world events at that time, see if this doesn't sound familiar. There was international tension, there was religious corruption, there was moral chaos. And in the middle of that, this preacher says this, Micah 6. With what shall we come before the Lord in the middle of all this chaos and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come with burnt offerings? That would have made sense to them. Calves? Uh, Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams? With 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Uh, Shall I offer my firstborn? It's like, I'll even, is that what you want, God? What do you want from me? Verse eight. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Look at this. To what? Act justly. Love mercy, walk humbly. Literally, there's, there's three words there. One is an action and two are an attitude. What he's saying, it looks like he's saying, do these three things. Uh, Tim Keller would point out in his commentary on this that what he's saying is act justly. And he says that 200 times in the Old Testament. And act justly, that's the action with an attitude of mercy and humility. Look here a second. True justice that comes from God always is me putting on the glasses that have two lenses, the glasses of mercy. I realize that I am a recipient of the mercy of God. So I'm gonna act merciful justly to others because I realize that God has been merciful to me. And then it's the lens of humility. I realize I've been made in the image of God just like you. And no one, no one, say it with me, no one is better than anyone. He said, so when you put those glasses on, you'll walk justly, you'll act justly. It's interesting, over and over again in the Old Testament, we see God's heart for the marginalized. Look at this passage, and then I gotta make some application. We're gonna pray and be done. Zechariah 7, word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice. Well, what's that look like? Show mercy and compassion to one another. And then verse 10 what has been termed by Tim Keller in his commentary, which I love, over and over again in the Old Testament, God references the quartet of the vulnerable. He says, don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, or the poor. Don't plot evil against each other. Over and over again, this is worth writing down. You see in the Old Testament, God referencing the quartet of the vulnerable is what I would call it. And over and over again, let's go next slide. Can we do that? There we go. The quartet of the vulnerable is simply this. Say these words out loud with me because I want to make sure you're with me. The quartet of the vulnerable is widows, orphans. Over and over again, Old Testament, you check me on it. You check me on it. And he says, when you begin to look at those people through the lens of the glasses called the gospel, you realize that all of you at one time were foreigners from God. He invited you into his family. All of you were bankrupt in God's eyes and he made you rich. All of you, and then that's where justice comes from. In fact, Jesus fleshed this out. When Jesus showed up, he stood up for the abused. He paid attention to the ignored. He broke down gender barriers and he knocked down racial divides. He elevated the status of women and children. He stood in the way of the abused and he stood toe to toe with the religious leaders. And look what he said, Matthew 23. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He said, you give a 10th, like you, you, give an offering of spices and mint dill and cumin you're like doing the right and good thing but you've neglected the more important matters of the law justice mercy and faithfulness he said you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former you blind guides you strain at a gnat but swallow a camel jesus says you can do a lot of right things religious things churchy things and miss the point so here's the question and then let's make application and pray and you can't miss next week you can't, even if you've got to drive from Columbia City, you can't miss next week. Amen? What's Jesus saying? He's saying you've got to act justly. He said, that, that, it, that's how you, listen, that's how you know that you've experienced deeply and profoundly the gospel. Because you only experience the gospel when you put on these glasses realizing I need mercy from God and that I'm in the image of God and that's only received humbly. And then I'm ready to extend justice So the question is this. It's the million dollar question. And I gotta say it. And I might get in some trouble. I don't know. Who knows? But I'm okay with that. How in the world do we do that without being stupid? Because some people in the name of Christ will say they're being champions for justice and do some crazy things. And can I suggest to you that acting justly is not about picketing or protesting injustice that's not what it is but it's about painting the invisible Jesus and making him visible and you know what Jesus did he came into injustice and he offered solution you're saying Dan how does that look well can I just say this I think it looks several ways it might be not just seeing the poor widow lady down the street but actually offering her help I read an article, maybe you read it in the news, about this lady who uh, she got a note from her neighbors, clean up your yard, you're devaluing our home or something like that. And then when they began to find out her story, they found out that she was a lady who had physical issues and her son a four years old was just diagnosed with cancer. And I think the point is this, is when I see somebody, maybe it's a widow down the street, maybe it's a widow in your family, You know, Paul says something about that. When we have widows in our family, you know whose responsibility? You know whose opportunity? Let's put it that way it is. It's the family. To extend justice. The vulnerable and the marginalized. I think beyond that, it's not just paying lip service to racial justice, but it's actually believing it and making friends with somebody from a different race and or culture. There's nothing political about what I'm saying. So if if you're taking it that way, send the email. I won't read it. I I won't. I don't have time to read that junk. This is following Jesus, guys. You're, You're like, Dan, really? I'm like, yeah. About 20 some years ago, I was the guardian for a young black fellow from the inner city of Chicago two years I was his guardian he lived with me in a predominantly white neighborhood and I was a young 20 some year old at the time and I had heard people talk about racial this and that and I'm like what's well, the big deal until I had a young black 17 year old boy hanging out with me all the time and not only did I see people treating him differently but they began to treat me differently you see how it works It's like it's easy to see people from a different culture and maybe they don't speak the language quite fluently. And it's like all of a sudden to begin, and Jesus said, No, no, I have a heart for those people. This is about following Jesus. I I don't care. Republican, Democrat, independent, doesn't matter. That doesn't matter in this conversation. It's like Jesus. See how how that works? I, I, I think beyond that, I think what it means to act justly is simply not just talk about the injustice being done to thousands of kids, but actually doing something about it. In this room, we have heroes. There are people sitting around you. There's a school teacher who literally, she has seen some of this happen to the kids that she teaches, and so she began fostering them. She became a solution. She said, I'm gonna put paint on this and make the invisible Jesus visible. Uh, There's a couple sitting in this service and they do not want to be known, so I I will do that, but I think they've probably fostered well over 50 kids. And and I understand the husband said his biggest regret is they didn't start sooner. Like, honestly, like I wanted to show you their story. I admire their humility. Like, they're heroes because they're not out picketing and saying, da, 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 we need to, what they're gonna say, we want to paint, we want to make visible, invisible Jesus. That's just, that's like, there's a problem. See how that works? Uh, For you high school and middle school students, can I just say this? I I think acting justly is not just signing a petition about bullying, but it's actually sitting with the kid who's being bullied. Like, I think that's what it means to act justly. Like It's easy to sign a petition and be like, I don't think we should bully in school. It's another thing to sit and have lunch with that kid who's being bullied. You're saying, Dan, what's the big idea? Because y'all... Y'all, who y'all, y'all, y'all are sent, are sent. And in a country that says 75% of our country say we're Christians, there's a lot of sitting around that takes place if we are honest. And Jesus, like, you'll get bored you keep sitting around. And I didn't call you to sit around, I called you to be sent. So the question is, when I pray, say amen, and we walk out of here in the spirit of Jesus inside of followers of Christ, I wonder what kind of paint, you'll throw on the invisible Jesus. I wonder what kind of Jesus your neighbor will see. I wonder what kind of Jesus your friends will see, what kind of Jesus your coworkers will see, or if he'll be the invisible man that just keeps showing up to work, keeps showing up to your neighborhood, keeps showing up to the ball game. You see, Jesus said, come follow me, and you'll do what I've been doing and even greater things than these. So God, we're done. And next week is such an important conversation. To top this off but I pray that she would give us the courage I pray that she'd give us even the vision to see how we can paint the invisible Jesus and make him visible and father we want to follow Jesus that's what we want to do we want to follow Jesus and so help us to do that help us to see people different help us to be there help us to selflessly be willing to ask them questions God, help us to be willing to be solution when we're able to. I just thank you for the couple that I see over here in, out of my eye that have given their life to helping kids. I just thank you for the people who have shown up. I thank you for the Seifert's who, who just spent time with a, a, a dear woman who just lost her, her, her husband, and, and, and they showed up, and they decided to spread paint on the invisible Jesus. So God, I pray that you'd help us to do that. We love you and we wanna follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.